Welcome to the Life Church STL podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages and inspires you. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Are y'all ready this morning? Hallelujah. Everybody smile real big. Come on. There's victory in Jesus, right? Huh? No sadness in heaven. No depression in heaven. And his will in heaven is to be done in earth, right? All right. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to read, uh, this is actually my text, is these three verses of Scripture in 2 Corinthians uh, in chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. And Actually, this happens, I have many favorite portions of Scripture, but this is certainly one of them. Uh, one of my favorite portions of Scripture has been for many years. Let's read it, and then I'll explain to you uh, what I'm going to do. Verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now we're in the midst of a series called the Watchman series. And today, if I would title this, I would call it Being a Watchman Over Your Own Soul. Being a Watchman Over Your Own Soul. At the end of this passage, it talks about be careful what you see. You need to be looking, watching. So here's the deal. Before we break into this, I want to just set this up by putting you in the right frame of mind. Are you all ready? You've got to really participate with me in this. I'm going to preach this message on two levels. One, I'm going to preach this, hopefully, in a way that impacts your soul and, and in a way that applies to your life practically, to where you can go away saying this has helped you on a personal level in your life. But I also want to preach this in a way where I'm interjecting diff- things along the way to help you to understand how to study the Bible. Are you with me now? Now, this is not the only way. There are a number of ways, but this is one of the ways I love to study the Bible. And you're going to see it. I'm not going to stop along the way and tell you about it, but you're going to see it in things that I say. Uh, Not just myself, but Pastor Josh. If you notice the way he preaches, now think about this. If you notice the way he preaches, Josh is not just coming up with a subject and then getting three or four or five points saying, all right, you know, you know, overcoming fear, you know, well, watch your mouth, watch your thoughts. You You know, you heard messages like that, right? And that's not real Bible preaching. And you know what Pastor Josh does is he's getting into the Word and getting revelation and he gets up here and he's getting the truths that he brings to you out of revelation of the Scripture itself. Are you all with me now? How in the world do you do that? Everybody can do that. You don't have to be a pastor to do that. And so on a secondary level, I just want you to be aware of that Watch for these little lessons about 
how to study the Bible and get revelation out of it, like what you're hearing come forth today. So you all with me now? All right, let's dive in. So in this passage, watch this. It begins in verse 16 by saying, Paul says, Therefore we do not lose heart. So not losing heart is the subject of this entire passage. And to not lose heart means, basically, to not get discouraged, not be in despair, don't get freaked out, you know, don't get, get worry, uh, full of worry. Are you with me now? He's saying, I'm going to show you how to live in such a way in your life. Think about this. Where no matter what happens in your life, you will never lose heart. You will never get in despair. You will never get discouraged. How many of you like to live that way? Well, that's what Paul's telling us. I'm telling you, he says, this is what I'm going to tell you. He says, so therefore, do not lose heart. I'm going to tell you how to not get discouraged or no matter what happens in your life. And the key to that is found in this first word in this sentence, therefore. Now, if you've heard me preach in the past, you may have heard me say that when you see therefore in Scripture, it's there for a reason, right? Because when you see therefore, watch this, therefore is referring backward to what Paul just said. So when you see therefore, I do, we do not lose heart, Paul is saying, I'm going to tell you how to lose heart. And in order to understand how not to lose heart, no matter what comes in your life, you're going to have to base it on what I just said previously. What did he just say? Well, look in verse 13. In verse 13, Paul says this. He says, And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, quotes, I believed and therefore I spoke. What's happening here? Paul is referring to David in the Psalms when David said, this is my spirit of faith, I believe, therefore I spoke. And Paul is saying, we have the same spirit of faith. That's the kind of faith we ascribe to. And how does that faith work? It works like this. You ready? He says, he said, we have the same spirit of faith. According to what is written, I believe and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. Paul says, David had faith that looked like this. Our faith works the same way. How does it work? We speak what we believe. He says, I want to tell you how not to lose heart. The way not to lose heart is we don't speak what we see. We don't speak what we feel. We don't speak our circumstances. We don't focus on or meditate on or allow our thoughts to uh, to roll around with all the opposition and trouble that's happening in our life. We speak what we believe. Our speaking, our attention that we give, our focus is on what we believe. And then he says this, watch this. He said, so, he said, we also believe and therefore we speak. So we speak what we believe. Verse 14, look at verse 14. Knowing... I love this now. Now watch this. Again, we're talking about also how to study the Bible. Look for these words like knowing. 
Because what does that tell you? Paul is telling you, now again, you've got to refer back over to verse 16 where we started. Where he says, what I'm talking about is how to not get discouraged, how to not get in despair or to lose heart. And he said the way to do that, he says, you have to, you have to speak what you believe, not what the world throws at you around you. Watch this. And then Paul says, and that believing comes from knowing. Do you all know that there's a difference between believing and knowing? Believing is not knowing. And knowing is not believing. Come on, listen to me now. Knowing is based on facts. Are you with me? Believing our faith is what evolves or is produced out of knowing the facts. Oh, that was a good place to shout right there. Y'all don't understand that. That's the way faith comes. Romans 10, 17, Paul said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What's he saying there? You have to first hear the word so you can know the facts. Once you know the facts, then it releases faith in your heart that is based on what you know. Faith is not a leap in the dark without reasons. Faith is based on real facts. Oh, I like that. You say, well, you get excited. Well, you will too if you see it. Now watch this. He said, he, said, he said, our faith is based off knowing. Well, what is it knowing? What is it based on? What does he know? Look what he says. He says, knowing, verse 14, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. What's he saying? Watch this. Listen. He's saying our faith, our confidence in our believing comes from knowing that Jesus went to the cross and he bore all this stuff we're going through. He bore our sin and with our sin he bore our pains, our sorrows, our griefs, all of that despair and junk was on the cross with him, and he bore it. And when he did, then the grave couldn't hold him. God raised him from the dead, which means that Satan and hell no longer has any power over him. But not just him. It no longer has any power over what he bore. And once he bore it, listen to this. He says, here's what we know. He bore it. He raised up the Lord Jesus. And he will also raise us up. So he's saying our confidence, our faith is in this, what he bore. And then he was raised, which means that Satan no longer has any power over that which he bore. And then he'll raise us up, which means, and he deposited all of that into our account. So now it no longer has any power over us. Now watch what that means. Listen to this. Because it does not mean you don't go through stuff. It does not mean there's not pain in life and adversity and a lot of difficulty you go through. But what it means, it's kind of like what Paul said about death in 1 Corinthians 15. You remember where he said, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? What he's saying is you may still go through the experience of death, but death no longer has any power. It's lost its sting. Its stinger's been pulled out. 
You may go through death, but it no longer has any power over you. In the same way, he's saying, you may still go through all this junk in the world, but Christ in the cross has pulled the stinger out of adversity. He's pulled the stinger out of pain. He's pulled the stinger out of trouble where it has no power over you. You get that Paul saying, that's how you not, don't lose heart. Knowing that, not knowing all the mess you're going through and pouting about it, Thank you for your tremendous response there. All right. Now, watch this. So I love that. So let's go now back to chapter, verse 16. Now watch this. Verse 16. Therefore, Paul said, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. In other words, you get he's saying this. He's saying this not losing heart is not just for little problems. It's not just for when things are going okay. He said, this losing, not losing heart is for even when the outward man is perishing. All hell's breaking loose. But watch this. He says, for even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. So what, what's he saying here? Watch this. He said, I'm going to tell you how to not lose heart. When you're going through stuff. And then what he does is he introduces this idea that we live in two worlds. He's saying there's the outward man that experiences all this mess that we go through. The outward man includes your physical body, your five senses. It includes your emotions. It includes your mind, your reasonings, your thoughts. He says... In that whole outward man realm, you're constantly seem like being bombarded with different issues, adversity, attacks, problems. Watch this. He said, but while that's happening to the outward man, the inward man is being renewed. I love this. In other words, he's saying, there is a way to live. If you understand that you're a citizen of two worlds where you can live, with all hell breaking out on the outside, but having it never affect the inside. Never enter the boundaries of your inner life. Ah, I like that. People don't know how to do that. Go through stuff without it going through them. Well, how do you do that? How in the world do you do that with all hell breaking loose out here? And yet there's peace. There's strength, confidence. There's joy fueling my inner man. How do you do that? He says there, watch this. Back to verse 16. We do not lose heart even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. In other words, the only way you can live this way Peace on the inside, hell on the outside. The only way you can live that way is you have to understand that the inward man, the inner man, has to be renewed every single day. Renewed day by day. People don't get that. I have had people down through the years say to me some things like this, say, Oh, Pastor, 
I just wish that God would just come and just fix me all up all at once. And just deal with all my stuff, straighten it all out, and, and then give me all the grace I need and all the mercy I need and so we can just be off to the races. I don't understand why God leaves this thing in piecemeal all along the way where he's constantly dealing with something as we go along on our path. I thought I got it all straightened out last year, and now God brought something else up. Are you with me now? Or, or you know, I was close to God 60 months ago, and now I don't know. It seems like I'm you know, not as close now. Why doesn't God just pour it all on me so I can be on the way? And I'm going to tell you why he doesn't. Why you have to go to the well every single day? You have to because you have a bucket that leaks. God made you like a bucket with a leak in it. I'm going to tell you, God did it on purpose. He made you like a bucket, and then he punched a hole in the bucket so it would leak. So you get up today, you seek God, and you say, oh, this is good grace everywhere. The mercy of God, oh, it's beautiful. A couple days later, a few days later, you, know, you, haven't, you haven't been going back to the well seeking God. And all of a sudden, it's like, whoo, I leaked out. What happened? Why does God make us leak? You want to know why? He did it on purpose because God doesn't want us to do any of this life without him. God knew, God knew that if he didn't give us a leak, God knew that if he gave us everything at one time, he knew that six months from now we would no longer be seeking God anymore. I'm just fine. Thank you, God. I'm on my way. But you have to understand God is far more interested in close fellowship with us than he is in fixing everything for us. And that was right there. I mean, that's worth the admission today. You know what? Y'all did pay admission when you came in, didn't you? I mean, listen, that's, that's powerful, isn't it? That's, that's real life. Now, so he said, and he, Paul, you don't see here how little, how you can study the Bible this way. Say, well, wait a minute. Paul says, one of the keys to not losing heart is to understand that I need to go to the well and have my inner man renewed every single day. There's a reason that David said, his mercies are new every morning. Why? It's why he gave us the analogy, uh, the type in the Old Testament of Israel in the wilderness when he gave them manna for today. And when some of them tried to collect manna for several days, when they got up the next day trying to eat yesterday's manna, it was spoiled. God said, I'm requiring you to only gather enough for today. And God is saying that that's the way you have to live life. You have to gather today's manna for today's trouble. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, or Matthew something, anyway, Matthew, there in, in the Sermon on the Mount, it's 630 something, anyway, where he, Jesus said, sufficient unto the day is the trouble thereof. That's a powerful statement that's saying, folks, 
You need to deal with today's trouble, and you've got to get today's grace for today's trouble. So anyway, somebody shout amen, all right? All right, now here we go. Watch it. Oh, we're not finished. You think we're finished? No, 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 we're not finished. Listen to this. Watch it. So, so he says here, he says, we did not lose heart. Verse 16, we did not, therefore we did not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being ready day by day. Watch this, verse 17. Here we go. Verse 17. So he says, we don't lose heart. We live renewing ourselves in God every day. Watch this. Verse 17 says, for, everybody say for. I love this. For, isn't that a beautiful word? For, you have to understand that a great portion of the revelation in this passage comes from understanding the fours and therefores. Because here, for is the opposite of therefore. Therefore is referring to what's just been said previously. For is referring, referring to what's about to be said. It's moving, looking forward. So for just means because. So Paul says this, you want to not lose heart? We don't lose heart even when our outward man is experiencing all this trouble. And he said, we do that for or because our light affliction. Now, I love this. Don't you love this? You look at that. Now, Paul's saying, I'm telling you how to not lose heart. And he says, here's how we do it. He says, for because, because our light affliction. What's he doing here? When you first look at those two words, light affliction, I mean, you know, you want to say, you think, Paul, what are you saying? You have no idea what I've been through and how painful it's been. And you're calling that light? I'm offended, Paul, that you said our light affliction. Baby, I haven't had light. I've had heavy affliction. And Paul calls it light. Now, you may get offended at Paul until you understand this is the same guy who was shipwrecked. The ship even fell apart. He barely escaped with his life. He was snake bit. He was stoned. He was, he was beaten a number of times within the inch of his life. And Paul calls all that light affliction. What is Paul saying here? You want to not lose heart when you're going through all kinds of trouble and mess? He said, here's how you do it. He said, you have to put it in its right perspective. Put your pain in its right perspective. He's saying, you've got to see it as light. And how in the world do you see all that mess you go through as light? You say, Pastor, you don't know. It's been big. And I want to tell you something. One of the problems many Christians have is when they are faced with adversity or some, especially some major thing. I mean, it's tough. It's painful. Then what happens is they allow their opposition or their trouble to become so big in front of their eyes, it's like my hand. My hand is so, here small, but yet if I put it in front of my face, I can no longer see anything else in my world any of the good things of God, and I can no longer see any of the people in my life. And when you put your troubles right up before you, they seem bigger than life itself. 
And Paul is saying you've got to push those things back and see them in perspective so you can see them as light afflictions. How in the world do you do that? Let's look at this. Again, in verse 17, he says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. So here he's given us the first key to how to see them as light afflictions. He says the first key is to see them as momentary. Are you with me? In other words, you've got to understand that what you're going through is, is going, you're going to get through it and come out on the other side. Y'all ever seen the statement in the Bible, it's there a number of times, and it came to pass. The Lord spoke to me one day, and he said, Rick, it didn't come to stay, it came to pass. No matter what you go through, remember, it came to pass. It's on its way out. Seen things are temporary. You have to understand that. It, unseen things are eternal. And so anyway, one problem people face is that they look at their problems, and when they look at their problems, they see them, they see them as permanent. It's like I've dealt with so many as a pastor, dealt with so many people down through the years, they're going through something. And they just feel like it's the end. They feel like, you know, like there's no tomorrow. I mean, I mean, I don't have any life after, after this. They can't see beyond that. Are you with me now? And so I say, I say, you've got to understand. I've, I've been in this thing a long time and dealt with people. And I've watched people go through terrible hell in their life. And I've watched them come out onto the other side when they thought there was no going, to be, going to be no future. And God gives them a future and a hope. He gives them a new day of fruitfulness. You, you take my own mom. You know, my mom, when my dad went to be with the Lord all those years ago, my mom, she got to the point after my dad died where she was telling us, you know, I just want to go on and be with the Lord. I want to die and go be with Jesus. I'm, I've lived a long life here. Lived enough. God's blessed me. I'm ready to go. I want God to take me on. She thought when my dad died, there was no more life left after that. Isn't that interesting? That's what you feel when you suffer loss like that. But you know, then all of a sudden, Vernon loses his, his wife. Frida goes on to be with the Lord, and he needs consoling. And so my mom goes to console Vernon, and she ends up consoling him all the way to the altar. And all of a sudden, my mom changed. Oh, wait a minute. Lord, cancel my prayer. I don't want to go quite yet. And then it's amazing. Now she's the opposite. She came to me, and she said she wants to get married. I'll never forget one day. Then Vern comes to me. <laughs> I've fallen in love with your mom. I mean, folks, that's freaky. Let me tell you. Your 80-year-old mom, and you see them coming, coming. Oh, I've fallen in love with my mom. And she said, oh, I want to get married. I said, wow. And, she, and they said, and, and we don't want to wait. We want to do it quick. We want, to, we want it now. And I thought, oh, Mom, are you, you pregnant or what? I, I mean, I don't know. And, but everything changed for my mom. Everything. And all of a sudden, it don't Wait. Wait, I had no idea that God has more life for me 
And not only just more life and beauty and joy, but she's found out God has more life of fruitfulness. My mom's probably been more fruitful since that time in the last 20 years, 10, 20, 10 years or so, uh, 20 years, than she has been her whole life. All that came on the other side of hell, on the other side of, of adversity. Isn't that beautiful? Paul says, you understand it's light affliction when you understand it's momentary. And then he goes on to say this. Again, here in verse 17. Look in verse 17. Let's read it again. Where he says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Baby, right now, this is the crux of the matter. Don't miss this one. He's telling us again here, you want to know how to go through hell and never let hell get inside here, but stay in victory and faith and peace and joy? I'm going to tell you how you do it. He said, you need to understand that while you're going through stuff, God is working for you. Oh, wow. Dude, that's revolutionary. Once you get that, it's a game changer. Now I can go through what I'm going through with peace and faith and joy, victory, confidence, because I know I may be going through something, but God's using what I'm going through, and He's working it for me. Isn't that powerful? That God never wastes any of it. Isn't that something? It's just for my wife, as a girl, you know, was sexually abused for a period of time. I mean, that's one of the toughest things, obviously, that could happen to a person. And then she grows up, it did a number on her. Man, I mean, hurt her. But then I watched God a handful of years later. God began to heal my wife, open her up, and heal those scars and those wounds. And do you know, even though she went through that hell, I watched that year, years, for years after that, I watched God use what my wife had been through to touch many other people's lives too. You see, when you understand what you go through, God is working for you, then you understand that when the devil attacks you, God has this plan to make the devil pay. And that's what he did with Donna. So I love that. He says that our light affliction is working for us. God doesn't waste any of it. Now the problem is when we're going through stuff, we can't see what he's working. In fact, we can't even see that he is working. That's the nature of it. But that's why Paul says we believe or we speak what we believe. We know no matter what is happening outwardly in our life that God is working. And what is he working? Look at this. He says here again back in verse 17. He said, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So look what he's saying. He's saying, listen, 
when you're going through all that mess, God is working for you, not just victory here in this life, and not just doing some good things and you shaping you in this life, but He's working you for you something in eternity. He's working for us a far more than exceeding an eternal weight of glory. In other words, He's saying, and we don't understand this, watch this, because we always want payday now. We don't understand when someone goes through stuff and then they die, it seems like God's not fair because He didn't pay them back. But we're always looking for payday here, and we don't understand God is paying on a different scale. It's way above your pay grade. God, in the end, will reconcile all things, and everything you've endured here, if you endure it in faith, God will reconcile it and pay you back and make it right. I love that. So watch this. So he says, he's working this eternal weight of glory. You ready for this? Here we go. Now let's sum this up. Look. So he says, we're going to verse 18 now. Verse 18. So he says, we don't lose heart. You know, understanding all hell breaks on the outside, but on the inside we stay in peace because we're being renewed every day because we understand, we see our afflictions as light because we're going through it, but it's not permanent. They're momentary. And, and we know that God is working. Now watch this. God's working for us through our pain. But then he says this. He's doing that, verse 18, while. Everybody say while. Now notice these words are important. While. You know what while means here? While means this. While means that when you go through stuff, it's not working for you just because you went through it. He says, while we do. In other words, he says, it only works for you if you go through it properly. Thank you for your tremendous response. That was just beautiful. You shouted at the promise, but the prerequisite is a little different, isn't it? While we're going, listen, he says, he says, the pain is working for you while we do. In other words, in other words, just because you see some people have this mentality, they're a Christian, so I went through this stuff, and just because I went through it, God owes me. I mean, you know what, like all you know, we're on this kind of compensation thing. I went through pain, God, now you owe me blessing. And folks, God doesn't owe you diddly squat. That's a Greek word, you know, not really, but God God doesn't owe you. Just because you went through some, you may go through it and come out bitter. You may go through it and be mad at God in the end. And you have totally wasted what you went through. Think of that. You go through all this pain and adversity here in this world, and you wasted all of it because you got bitter, you got down, depressed, down, bad, poor mouth through the whole thing, and because of that, you wasted it, and God didn't work anything through it. When you're going through stuff, you need to take care of how you go through it. Because God only was working stuff for you if you go through it the right way. Y'all look at me strange right now, but it's true. So he says this. 
He said it's working for us while, so what does we have to do? I love it. Verse 18. He says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So I love this. So God gives us a plan. You know, we all like, we all like uh, business plans, right? God, give me the game plan so I can know what to do. And we want five different things that we can do. And all Paul tells us is this. You want to not lose heart in the midst of trouble? You want all that pain to be working, God working for you? I'm going to tell you this is the whole plan. All you got to do is don't look at what you can see and look at what you can't see. He said that's the whole business plan. He's saying don't pay, spend your time paying attention to and focusing all the mess that's going on in your life. Don't sit wallowing in that. He said, but you need to spend your time looking at the things, watchmen, looking at the things that you cannot see. So now watch this. First of all, how do you look at what you can't see? You certainly can't see it with your eyes, but you see it with your faith. Your faith has eyes. So what is it you're seeing? What are the unseen things that you have to look at while you're going through? What are those unseen things? I can think of a number of them. We've already mentioned the cross. Now, the cross historically is a historical fact. It happened, but we can't see it. You, even we, if we could see the cross, you still can't see spiritually what happened, the redemption, the breaking of the power of sin and death and all that stuff. You, you can't see it, but you have to look at it. So you look at that. I think also of you look at what God's put in you. I'm talking about unseen things. So what are you looking at when you go through stuff? Look at what God's put in you. Look at the Holy Spirit, which you can't see. God's put the comfort in you, comforter in you, the strengthener, the counselor. And spend your time focusing on Him, fellowshipping with Him, hearing His voice. Many other unseen things. I can think of what God's done for you. Those are unseen seen things. God's made you a son or daughter in the house of God. Are you with me now? You're an heir of God and joint heir with Jesus Christ. You can't see that, but that's the reality. Look at that. You're forgiven. You're made righteous. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. See yourself seated there. That's unseen. All of those things are unseen things that you need to be looking at. But watch this. But you, only, you can only apply these things by looking at one unseen thing. So really, you tap into all those by looking at one unseen thing. And I just want to ask you, what do you think that one unseen thing is? I want somebody to tell me. You can just shout, what would that one unseen thing be? Oh, come on, y'all are better than that. One unseen thing, what is it? Don't be afraid to be wrong. I'm not going to slap you with an F grade or something. What is it? No. <laughs> You're wrong. I mean, obviously, of course, ultimately it's Jesus. So, but you know what the one thing is? It's the Word. The one thing is the unseen Word of God. So, folks, listen. You need to love your Bible 
more than anything else you possess. I think many Christians, they don't understand what a lifesaver this thing is. I don't think they understand what, what food, nourishment this thing is, what rescue this thing is, what deliverance this thing is. Paul is saying, see, you look at one unseen thing, and that's the Word of God. Quit looking at all those circumstances. You look at the Word of God. But he's not, you can see this book, this Bible. He's not talking about the printed uh, letters or words on a page, what you see. What's he talking about then? Well, I want to show you. So, Because someone here might think, wait a minute. He doesn't say the Word of God. How do you know when he says, look at that, those things which are unseen? How do you know he's talking about the Word of God? Well, I'm going to show you how I know. Go back with me to chapter 3 and verse 7. And look at this. And we'll try to wrap this up. Look at this. Chapter 3, verse 7. Now, you all do realize that this is a letter that we're reading that Paul wrote. So God, Paul's not changing subjects here. This is just a handful of verses back where Paul's talking about the same thing. And here's what Paul says. Look at this in, in 2 Corinthians 3, 7. Paul says this, But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so let's stop and look what he's talking about. So he calls, whatever he's talking about, he calls it the ministry of death. Isn't that interesting? The ministry of death. And then he goes ahead and immediately explains to us what he's talking about. He said, I'm talking about the Old Testament law, the law of Moses, the one that was written on stones. He says, and he calls that Old Testament law, don't miss this, he calls it the ministry of death. Oh, listen, I know where I'm going. You've got to get this. Hang with me. He calls it the ministry of death. Why does he call it the ministry of death? You know why? He calls it the ministry of death because the Old Testament law was like a mirror that showed them their true condition, how fallen, sinful, rebellious, and corrupt they were. It showed them their need, but it had no power to change them or to correct what it showed them. So Paul calls it the ministry of death because it only produced death. It aroused death in them. Are you with me now? And so, but, so he says this. He says, But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, watch this, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? That's verse 8. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Now watch this. Look at this. Again, look, look how we study the Bible. Look at this. When you look at this, you see verse 7. He's talking about the Old Testament law, which was the word of God they had at that time. And in verse 8, he's comparing that with this new ministry of the Spirit. He doesn't say the word of God but anytime you see these kind of direct comparisons in Scripture, whatever is said of one is also implied with the other. Are you with me now? So he's saying the Old Testament law was a ministry of death. 
the Word of God in the Old Testament, just exposing their sin but having no power to change it. He said, but this new ministry that we have now is called the ministry of the Spirit. How in the world does this new ministry of the Spirit work? How does that, How does it apply the Word of God to us? Well, aren't you glad Paul tells us? Isn't it interesting? You ready for this? You know where Paul tells us? If I had time, I wish I could just take you all and say, go through the rest of chapter 3, and I want you to find for me and tell me where Paul tells us how this ministry of the Spirit works. You know where you would find it? Look at this. In verse 18. In verse 18, Paul says this. In verse 18, Paul says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Wow. Now watch this. What's he saying? He said, I'm going to tell you how this new ministry of the Spirit works. He said, you look into this. Now you say, now watch this. He said, you look into the Word as a mirror. So how do how, how you know he's talking about the word there? If you look in James chapter 5, uh, or James chapter 1, I think it is, I don't know, James something, read it for yourself. Uh, James tells us specifically that the word is like a mirror to us. The word of God. And so he says we look in the mirror now, and the Spirit of God still, just like in the Old Testament, still, first of all, shows us our need. He shows us our present corrupt condition. But then something powerful happens. With that same word, with that same word, we begin to see the glory of God begins to lift off of the pages and jump into our soul and we feel illuminated by the presence of God and light begins to explode in our being. We feel enlightened. Our eyes are open and all of a sudden, just by peering into the Word, the glory of God is revealed to us. Now watch this. And you know what that glory does? Immediately when that glory explodes on our soul, it immediately begins to transform us. So he's saying this new ministry of the Spirit works like this. You get into the Word of God, and it shows you your condition, your need. But then after that, it also has the power to transform you and change what you need. So you become like the image of Christ. Isn't that powerful? You know, in reading the Bible, it's, the reason I'm doing all this like this today is because, you know what, you ever heard the old adage, you know, you know, you feed a man a fish and whatever, you fill the stomach, yeah, and he'll be hungry the next day. Teach a man how to fish and, you know, he'll never be hungry the rest of his life. That's what I'm interested in. I know that's what Pastor Josh is interested in. We're not just interested in feeding you fish here on Sunday morning. We want to teach you how to fish. Go get your own dang fish. Don't eat my fish. Get your fish. Because when you get your own, they're going to mean a lot more to you. So Paul says this. He says, you know, 
what happens is in this new ministry of the Spirit, the Word of God is different in the way it acts and operates. And here's the way it is. Watch this. This is the reason Paul says, you want to know how to not lose heart in the midst of going through hell? And all he says, he says, just keep looking at the unseen things, the Word of God. is because when you look at the Word now, because you've got the Holy Spirit in you, that's a whole new ball game where the Spirit reveals to you, uncovers things that the Apostle Paul once saw. And once you get a revelation, yeah, let me ask you a question. Do you all know what it's like to stare at a verse long enough and have it continue to stare back at you until eventually all of a sudden it stops staring back and it breaks open and reveals what it's been hiding? You all know what that is? That's called revelation. You know the word revelation has two meanings? The first one means to uncover. The way revelation comes, it's just like a curtain was there. It's pulled back. Oh, my gosh, I didn't see it. How did I miss it? The Holy Spirit revealed it now, and it's obvious to you. But I love this. The second meaning of revelation is this. It means this. It means to see it again. To see it again. What in the world does that mean? You know what he's saying? Here's what it means when you get revelation. It means all those years ago, the Holy Spirit uncovered this thing to Paul and he wrote it down and Paul saw it. But now 2,000 years later, if we stare at the Word of God and pray over it and love it and meditate in it, the same Holy Spirit that was in Paul is inside of me and he will cause me to see again what Paul saw then. That's revelation. I can see the same thing he saw and get it the same way he got it. Ah, oh, that's shouting material. Somebody should be shouting this way. Look at this. And so anyway, listen to this. What you understand then is this. Our whole job, and people don't get this. They're always looking for something to do. Pastor, give me, give me something to do. Come on, I need, I need a plan, game plan, how to overcome this thing. Come on, give me five things. And I tell them, I don't have five things. i got one thing. What's that one thing? Just get in the Word, open your Bible, get a good cup of coffee, get in your nice comfy chair, your nice little slippers, and you stay in that Word, and you pray over it, you seek God over it, you meditate on it, you cry over it, you memorize it until all of a sudden God causes that thing to jump off the page and explodes inside of you. And when that happens, you'll have more pressure on the inside than the pressure of the problem on the outside. Hallelujah. You know, I say, I, I counsel or mentor a lot of pastors especially a lot of younger pastors. And there's this one guy, Donna, Donna will meet me, you know who I'm talking about, but there's this one guy that just irritates me, a pastor. I mean, because every time he calls, every time I talk to him, he's got a new problem. He's back in the same mess. And it's like he's down the dumps and he's lost his faith. And he's like, and you know, I'll ask him, I'll say, well, did you do what I told you to do last time? Which is this, this is the word. 
And I told him how to do it. Did you do that? Well, no, I've been busy. Didn't get it. I, I just want to hang up. Shut up, you idiot. I'm not going to talk to you. That's, that's my method of counseling. If you didn't do what I told you last time, then shut up and go home. Not really. Thank God I've got Donna. She's the balance. But Tony, listen to this. Why does this work this way? I mean, why is this the game plan? You just stare at the Word. God just gave us a book. And the book is the answer to all our problems. Why? What is it about this new ministry of spirit? I'm going to tell you. You ready for this? Very simple. It's because now, because of the Spirit, this Word is alive. Now, don't miss what I'm saying here. People don't get this. This Word has active ingredients in it. It's, it's moving, shifting. Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God is quick, it's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Dividing asunder between soul, between soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And I love Romans 1.16 where it says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. I read that one day years ago. It exploded on me, and I got it. I realized that he did not say that the word of God contains the power or shows us the way to the power, or teaches us the power, or reveals the power. He says the Word of God is the power. The power is resident in the Word. And God gave me this statement years ago then. He said this. He said, remember, Rick, that the Word of God has the power resident within itself to bring itself to pass. You just stay in the Word, and God will do the work. Are you listening to me today? How, well, did anybody get anything out of this today? Hallelujah. Stand to your feet with me. Stand to your feet with me. Thanks for listening today. We pray this message encourages you. If you have any questions or you'd like to learn more about us as a church, you can always visit us online by going to lifechurchstl.com.